Cartridge blowers out there. This is N64 Life with myself, Cliff Foster, aka the amazing Cliff, on the old Twitter, your guide through the world's greatest computer game console of all time, the Nintendo 64. Hello, you. I'm waving. Wave back. Waving. 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 Um, I just want to address the elephant in the room because... As you've noticed, I've take I took a month and a bit break from doing the podcasts, um, and that was because my father uh, passed away. And a lot of you listening to this will already know that um, this is not news to you. But I just really want to say thank you to everyone that has reached out in that time. I mean it, every single one of you that has reached out in that time. You're a lovely lot. Now, my dad was a huge supporter of me being a creator, um, especially audio. He always used to find it fascinating that I couldn't just walk into a radio station and go, this is me, you want to employ me. Um, he, he genuinely thought that I was very gifted at this. Um, and uh, yeah, and he's always been a massive sport, even though he's, he's never known a single bit about wrestling or retro gaming or anything. He still listened. Um, so to get back to podcasting, which is fundamentally my biggest passion I, I love streaming don't get me wrong i love streaming but podcasting is my passion so to get back to this now it means a lot so thank you thank you thank you to every single one of you that supported me thank you um but we've got a bit of a backlog because i've taken a month and a half off it means we have now this backlog of today's battle for jinjos which we'll go into in a second we've got a mini history of Star Fox 64 We've got a player two enters the pod. Hopefully, uh, they are still available, or we can schedule in uh, something that you know to have both of us on uh, recording something, even if that's not part of the Star Fox mini history. I think it's very much worth just me and that person having a real big talk. Um, and then after that, we've got a battle for Jinjos, which is a triple threat. I'm not going to give it away yet. But then after that, we don't go into another battle for Jinjos. We go into another mini history. And this mini history, I've started writing it. All of this I've been writing in the background. And this mini history is going to be really cool. Because it's not just... We're not going to be just looking at the N64. This, this computer game transcended that. It was a multimedia experience. Now, some of you may already know the game that I'm talking about, but I am not going to announce it here, okay? But we've got all these things coming up in the future, and I'm so excited, so, so excited. And as I said, it's it's been lovely streaming because it's made me feel like I'm, I'm still doing something for you. Um, and if you aren't already following N64 Live Podcast on a Friday and a Sunday uh between 8:30 and 11 11 o'clock british standard time come and join me and if you are involved with that chat you can earn yourself chat points um and if you earn yourself chat points you earn yourself a shout out and these people they bloody got a shout out haven't they so first of all we got neil we got sarah we've got phil 
We've got Matty. We've got Timpson. We've got Sean. Seen Dune. We've got M. I am. I am. I am. She's waving. And we've got super sexy Dave Fisher. Hello. Um, and oh, we've got windmills. Windmills. I'm not a fan of windmills. If you're part of the stream, you understand this joke because windmills don't blow. Don't blow. They don't blow anything away. That's a fan. Fans do. Fundamentally, the windmill takes in the 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 wind, and that what that's what makes it spin. A fan is generated by a motor. It's it's like the reverse. It's the literal <laughs> reverse of it. Why can you not like get this in your head? It is a reverse. The the windmill in the. I'm alright. I'm alright. Anyway, um, so <laughs> thank you guys. I really appreciate all your support. You've been there uh, over a very difficult time. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and we've gone back to a bit of a comfort game on the Sunday, uh, where we're playing Ocarina of Time again. Uh, and on the Friday streams, we are still doing the random number generated game. Uh, we are coming back to Tammy Gotchi. It's in there. Um, I have promised Neil more MK4. So we're going to start this week a week with MK4 because it's staring me on my whiteboard right in front of me. Neil, if you're listening to this, uh, don't worry. We'll start with MK4. Uh, Mortal Kombat 4 for anyone else. Um, so we're going to do that. Okay. Uh, but no, it's, it's really lovely on those streams. And, and... Hang on a minute. What? What do you... No, you're not coming in. You're not coming in. You're not over. You stay out. No. You, no. Don't, no, you're not coming in. Don't you dare. Don't you dare come through that window. Sorry about that. Um, but no, so it's a lovely place. It's an absolutely lovely place. And uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, with the streaming, it is great fun. Because the great thing with streaming is, is I don't have to come out and uh, edit sound effects as if uh, things are outside my door. Anyway, um, <laughs> shall we do this? Shall we? Um, <laughs> that's the great thing. I, I love this. As I said, this is my passion. This is my everything. I love podcasting. At the same time, oh, isn't it lovely that you can just type finish the stream at the end of the night and go, well, that's where that sits forever. <laughs> anyway, let's do this. Today, it's a battle for Jinjos. <laughs> And this Battle for Jinjos is huge. It's, it's really a mini history as well as a Battle for Jinjos. It's been a pleasure to write. And we're going to see these two games battle off against each other. The world is not enough. 
Yeah, the world is not enough. And it will be facing off against... Perfect Dark. Yes. Who is the true successor to Goldeneye? Who which is which is the true signal uh, sequel? Signal? Sequel. God. It's gonna be a long show, isn't it? Anyway, here we go. The world is not enough. Perfect Dark. Let's do this. Well, it's a battle for Jinjos. And we're going to start a little bit differently. But let's go through the rules. Because this might be your first time, are you? Welcome aboard. Sorry, it's a bit of a daft place. But there are five Jinjos to collect. And both of these games will be battling for each of these Jinjos. The first one comes down to storyline. Second, gameplay. Third, is sound and graphics. The fourth is what the critics thought at the time on IGN. And the last one, the most important one, a poll that was sat there about a month ago. <laughs> It'd be cool to go back and have a look. I don't know. I can't remember who won. I've got a feeling who won. But the poll up on Twitter, you guys get to choose. You guys get to comment. And we've got lots of comments to get through. It's going to be so exciting. But let's start off. With a bit, as I said, almost a mini history. Because, as I said, both of these games followed a titan. GoldenEye, the classic that should never have been. Because this game, it, it came out two years after the launch of the movie. It's, I, I mean, it, it should have just been a throwaway license. Should have just been a game that came out and to support a movie and never be seen again. However, we've spoken a little bit about GoldenEye. And this game was revolutionary to the console market because at the time computer games were going through a transition it was no trendsetter because doom and quake um and other games have been there and treading the same ground before but none had successfully done multiplayer like golden i did for a console um obviously the n64 was always going to be the multiplayer experience because it automatically came out of the box with four controller pad point ports. There was no mucking about. There was no need to get expansions and extra wires coming off and extra money being spent. There was no need for that. And the thing is, is because this game 
was built for four-player. Most of these games were built for four-player. Um, and I think it, was, it very much sowed the seeds of where computer gaming would go in the way of multiplayer for many years to come. We, we It's quite evident that first-person shooters on consoles is a massive mainstay. Now, because other games took up the mantra and, you know, online gaming, you know, you had your Call of Duties, very much it moved into a different atmosphere. And it moved online with uh with this multiplayer multiplayer experiences you know if that was counter strikes if that was the unreal tournaments of the world there, there's so many other <laughs> golden eye is just a segment of a rich tapestry of multiplayer experiences but it was so important like i'm not i'm not silly enough to say it was the most important but it this is the thing is that after its launch in 1998 months after um months after its launch uh, rare lost the 007 licensing now they they it was quickly snapped up ea just jumped on it so ea electronic arts jumped on it one of the first games that they would sort of go away from that sort of sports era they they were trying to expand the games that they were producing and the the, the 007 franchise was definitely going to be key to that and um, they released tomorrow never dies on november 60 1999 uh, pretty much exactly a year after goldeneye was launched now the problem with this was it was a less polished no multiplayer third person shooter with ai problems uh collision detection problems and the controls were a bit iffy. Um, it was... It, watching back, I've never played the game itself, but I watched back to a lot of people doing playthroughs. To me, it seems like a Mission Impossible without that character. Um, and to be honest, the critics thought the same as well at the time. Um, with only scoring 5 out of 10 with IGN. Um, and that was after a massive delay to the game as well. They had to th- rethink think what gamers wanted because GoldenEye had set the precedent and even games like Mission Impossible coming out for the N64 very much lived under that shadow of GoldenEye. Everyone was expecting a game to be GoldenEye. Now what about Rare? Rare had just lost the uh, the 007 franchise and they weren't going to stand around. They knew through the sales, you know, at this time, there is a weird... Uh, if you have a look at the sales uh, trajectory of GoldenEye, it goes massively up when it's launched, dips all the way down outside of the top 10 games uh, being sold for the N64 time, and it's almost like this really cool word of mouth. You know, really cool, like, people going over to people's houses, playing it, and then it rockets back up into the uh, top five. It never left that top five until the end of the console. Until the GameCube came out, it never left that top five, which is fascinating. This little game that's just meant to be a tie-in to a movie. It's absolutely incredible. So they knew they had to do something else. They knew they had to use this engine that they created and create their own IP off of it. So they got um, Martin Hollis uh, back at the helm because uh, he was in charge of the GoldenEye project. And this project 
originally was called Covert OP uh, and then was later uh, renamed to Alien Intelligence. Uh, the idea was to use this light and uh, or, or d- lack of light, I would say, and to really create this, you know, sort of sneaky, sneaky around enemies and really improve this AI that they were already created, almost leaning on Metal Gear Solid's uh, stealth element. Um, they wanted to create that in a first person sort of a sort of environment now david david doke which you may well know the name uh, because he was a doctor in uh golden eye um they drew uh on influence from pop culture such as the x-files uh the ghost in the shell uh which was a manga um and the film such as judge dread that had just uh, come out as well they wanted to lean into that and sort of go to a more futuristic world you know, very much similarities to what we used to see, but that sort of weird, sort of dark, twisted future. Um, and they wanted a really strong female lead, which Hollis was a big... Um, he, he pushed it. He pushed it, pushed it, pushed it, and believed that computer games should have more female strong leads. And one of the things that he did was he looked not just to what was happening at the time with, you know, you can take influences from Lara Croft, obviously, with... Uh, with this uh, female protagonist but also in history because one female character in history that is absolutely humongous was joan of arc or or hang on here we go here we go cliff's gonna say french words or sheen d'arc d'arc uh in french which became the basis of their new character which is jonah dark and off of that came the finalized name for the game perfect dark now it's not proper english you look at perfect dark is you know it's 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 that sort of the incorrect almost translated spelling and that that came from uh hollis really liking it when japanese developers uh used english words in their titles now this game wasn't actually funny enough this game was not called perfect dark in japan it was called red and black and if you see the cover of red and black in japan it does i mean it doesn't look like perfect dark i don't think i would pick up that cover and think oh that's perfect dark it looks like a completely different game which is quite fascinating in a way now so they've they've got the name they've got the They've got the, they've got the female protagonist, and th- this is the thing: is that Rare kept everything in house. Yeah. Now with EA, because they, they wanted to keep it very close to their chests, but EA obviously were creating a pl- cross-platform uh, experience and gave it to uh, for the N64 to a company we've already covered, which was Eurocom, who created who created games. We've already covered on this podcast uh, MK4, Earthworm Jim 3D, um, and uh, Duke Nukem. Uh, so they, they've already created Duke Nukem 64, sorry. Uh, they've already created these games. And at the time, they were just finishing off on MK4. But they, they wanted to create this first-person shooter engine uh, for the new Project Dolphin that was just around the corner. And they wanted to jump on that market. So to really go in there and show off what this engine could do and their prior prior experience with the N64 hardware, 
they went and got themselves the uh, the commission. They they were allowed to go off and now develop this game. Now it was originally when it came out meant to be released on November twentieth, two thousand, but it was pushed forward. And here we go. This is where we come into the normal ground, shall we, ladies and gentlemen? The world is not enough. Uh, released in North America on October 17th, 2000. In Europe on December 7th, uh, 2000. And no Japanese release. We know what this usually means for computer games, but no Japanese release. Published, as we've said, by Electronic Arts. Developed by Eurocom. Um, and here we go. This is the storyline of Tomorrow Never Dies, very closely following the actual movie itself. Oh, here we go. <laughs> it's been a while. Here we go. Wikipedia. Here we go. <laughs> if you didn't know already, I take the storylines from Wikipedia and we judge them from there. I do not sit there, play the bloody game, and then write the storyline. Life is not long enough. <laughs> So in Bilbao, uh, agent, uh, sorry, M in Bilbao, MI6 agent James Bond meets a Swiss banker to retrieve money for Sir Robert King, a British oil tycoon and friend of M. Obviously, we need to, you know, get his shoeing into the story of James Bond, doesn't he? Uh, Bond interrogates the banker to, to attempt to identify the assassin of an MI6 agent. But the banker is killed before relieving his information. Hang on, hang on. Wait, wait, wait. Why would a banker know this? It's like me walking in to Nationwide and going up to the person behind the counter and go, Harvey Dead, can we trust him? It's like, why would they know? What's that got to do? What's the banker? Where's the pretense? Why is he doing that? It's always important. The why is really important. Why does a banker know who's trying to kill MI6 agents? <sighs> Storylines. Anyway, but the banker is killed before revealing the information and Bond is forced to escape with the money. The British, British government needs money somehow. At MI6 headquarters in London, the money is revealed to be laced with explosives to kill King. Bond locates the assassin and chases her by boat on the Thames to the Millennium Dome, O2, um, where she attempts to escape by a hot air balloon, the most efficient and quickest of ways of escape. Bond offers her protection. Bluminate Bond by a dinner first. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> she refuses and blows up the balloon. Ah, you know, it's a bit creepy. I, I would be the same. Injuring Bond's shoulder in the process. Bond tra traces the recovered money to Re Renard, a KGB agent turned terrorist. Of course, because Russians are <laughs> following an, an earlier attempt on his life. Uh, sorry, following an earlier attempt on his life by MI6, Reynard was left with a bullet embedded in his brain, which makes him immune to pain. Yes, because it would kill him. 
I would eventually kill him. No, hang on, no. Ow. Expulsion. Ow. I'm calling Ow. <laughs> If he was shot in the head, he would be dead. Not like, ah, uh, it's just really slowly killing him. No, the infection that would be caught. Let alone having a bullet in your brain. Not, not like, ah, oh, I can't feel pain, me. If you can't feel pain, then that means there's something wrong with you. Not just nerve endings. There'll be something wrong with you. You'll be in a wheelchair. You'll be completely unable to... <sighs> anyway, but Emma signs Bond to protecting King's daughter, Electra, who Reynard had previously abducted and held for ransom. Bond flies to Azerbaijan where Electra is overseeing the construction of an oil pipe because 90s Russia oil, yeah. Uh, during a tour of the pipeline's purpose route in the mountains, Bond and Electra are attacked by a hit squad as in armed pro-glider equipment and snowmobiles. That's okay. I don't understand this. When you get things like this in movies or games, why don't you just wait for him at the bottom of the hill? Anyway, Bond visits uh, Valentin Sufkowski at a casino. Look, we got reoccurring characters from Goldeneye. Isn't that cool? Um, to, uh, to acquire ev information about Electra's attackers. Bond grows suspicious uh, as Electra immediately loses $1 million dollars what she oh oh in the games i thought you meant like losing it i thought that's a bit careless um and he later seduces her while leaning more about her learning more about her kidnapper kidnapping that that's that's not cool bond uh bond discovers that electra uh electra's head of security sasha dividoff uh is secretly in league with renard he kills davidoff and bought Boards a plane bound for Russia's uh, ICBM base in Kazakhstan. Posing as a Russian nuclear scientist, Bond meets American nuclear physicist Dr. Christmas Jones. Yes, we were all waiting for him to have... when Literally, when they say later to ruin the story for people, when they say they're going to Turkey, I remember seeing this in the cinema as a 14-year-old going... <laughs> he's gonna have Christmas in Turkey. It's gonna, it's gonna happen. There's gonna be some joke there. It, it's too obvious. This is when Bond movies turned a bit shit. <laughs> Again, uh, Renard removes the GPS location card and the weapons grade. Uh, oh, sorry, I think I missed a bit. No, I haven't. No, this is how the story's going. Uh, Reynard removes the GPS location uh, locator card and weapons-grade petroleum from a nuclear bomb. As you do. Uh, before Bond can kill him, Jones blows up. It blows his cover. Reynard steals the bomb and fly, it flees, leaving everyone to die. Just kill everyone. Why do Bond villains do that? Why do they just leave it like, Haha, I'm going to leave you in this situation now that you could possibly escape? I know it's been parodied to hell and back so we won't move too much into that bond and jones escape <laughs> well the, they escape then uh in the exploding silo with the locator card back in azerbaijan 
Bond warns M that Electra may not be as innocent as she appears uh, and hands her the locator card as proof of the theft. Um, an alarm sounds, revealing that the stolen Bond was bomb from uh, Kazakhstan has is a is attached to the pipeline inspector pig what hang on this is what this is honestly what wikipedia says is attached to the pipeline inspector pig i'm not joking either it says in there attached go to wikipedia now search the world is not enough n64 look at the end it says in there is attached to a pipeline inspector pig. Now, I really want to see an, a, a, a pipeline inspector pig. Uh, I think that that needs to be a new TV show. Anyway, heading towards <laughs> the oil terminal. What is wrong with Wikipedia? <laughs> Bond and Jones enter the pipeline to de deactivate the bomb. And Jones discovers that half the plutonium is missing. They both jump clear of the rig and... Oh, it's rig, isn't it? It's meant to be rig. That's exactly what that's meant to be. It does say pig. I've got screenshots. So if Wikipedia, somebody on Wikipedia changes it before you bloody get search for it, it honestly says pipeline inspector pig, which we now need to be a thing. Anybody who is an artist of any form, can you please draw me a picture of the new pipeline inspector pig? It needs, to be, it needs to be a thing. <laughs> anyway. Oh, dear. And a large section of the pipeline is destroyed. Bond and Jones are presumed killed. Uh, but dead, I think is the word. Back at the command center, Electra reveals that she killed her father as revenge for using her as bait for Reynard. She abducts them who uh, she resents uh, for having advised her father not to pay the ransom for her. Bom Bond accosts Sokoski's uh, at the his caviar factory in the Caspian Sea, and they are attacked by Electra's helicopters with big saws on them. Uh, Sokoski reveals his, uh, his arrangements with Electra was to accept the payoff via bets in his casino in exchange for use of a submarine captain by Sokoski's nephew, Nikolai. Um, the group goes to Az Istanbul, where Jones... <laughs> Turkey. Uh, where Jones reveals that if Reynard were to insert... Giggity. The stolen plutonium into the submarine's nuclear reactor, the resulting nuclear meltdown would destroy Istanbul thus sabotaging the uh, uh, Russian's pipeline in Bosphorus. Yes. Uh, Electra's pipeline is planned to go through Istanbul uh, with the sa sabotage... Uh, sa sorry, with the sabotage dramatically increasing the value of her own oil. Uh, Bond gets a signal from the locator card at the Maiden's Tower. Just before Sokoski's henchman, Bull blows up the command center. Sokoski is knocked down unconscious, but Bond and Jones are captured by Electra's henchman. Jones, taken aboard the submarine, 
which is was seized by uh, Reynard's men. Bond is taken to the tower where Electra's tortures him in a, a guillotine and reveals that she's cut off a portion of her ear to make the kidnap look more believable. Sigoski and his men seize the tower, but Sikorsky is shot by Electra. Before dying, Sikorsky uses his cane gun to free Bond. He frees M and kills Electra. God, this has gone on forever. And the exciting bit is done in a convert. Look at this. It's done in a sentence. Before dying, Sikorsky uses a cane gun to free Bond. He frees M who kills and kills Electra. Jesus Christ. Bond dives after the submarine. God, this is wrapping up. Somebody's bored of writing this. Um, Bond dives after the submarine, boards it, frees Jones. The submarine now ruptures as it sinks into the Bosphorus. Um, Bond finds Reynard, kills him by firing the plutonium rod into his stomach, impaling him. Bond and Jones escape the submarine, leaving the flooded reactor to detonate underwater. Later, Bond and Jones share a romantic evening in Istanbul and end up in bed together while being monitored by... That's a bit creepy. Whilst being monitored by MI6 satellites. Jesus wept. I'm going to take a breath now. That is a hell of a storyline. But it's, it's exactly the same as the movie. Spoilers! If you've never seen the movie. <laughs> but... It's exactly the same as the movie. Now, so they knew where they had to go with it. So it was almost the same as previously, as previously uh, GoldenEye had to as well. It's exactly the same. It's just literally they knew where they were going. But one company that had to create it all from scratch, they had their influences. They had their influences, as I've spoken about before. But Perfect Dark released May 22nd, 2000 in uh, North America, in Europe on June 30th, 2000, quite soon afterwards, and in Japan, the all-important Japan, on October 21st, 2000. Published and developed by Rare. Rare. Oh, God, I hate that. That's why I just called them Rare. Let's go into this story that those clever sausages came up with. Here we go. Strap yourself in. It's great doing these cinematic games, but bloody hell, we go into a storyline, don't we? Now, brace yourself, because this is going to take a massive jump into the future. Like, I don't know if you can fathom exactly what the world might look like in this year, but we're going to jump to the distant future of 2023. Wait, hang on. I mean, it might be in the past. If you're listening to this, not on day of release, you listen to it in the past. That is the distant past of 2023, if you're listening in 2024. Or the present, if you're listening in 2023. Oh, my head hurt. Ow. Against the backdrop of interstellar war between two alien races, the Mayans, who look pretty much like every alien going. Like... They look like the mooing aliens in South Park. It's literally, they, they, they didn't really think into this too much, but grey aliens like that. And then you had the uh, Skida, who looked almost like, they're pretty much dinosaurs with guns. This is, welcome to Jurassic Park. 
Um, so they're like re- reptilian-like, um, and they use cloaking devices to appear as humans. On Earth, there's an ongoing rivalry between two companies. The Carrington Institute, a research center founded by Daniel Carrington that secretly op- uh, operates an espionage group in league with the May- Mayans. Oh, look at that. The- so it's not governments now, it's companies. Quite fitting, really. I'm I'm sh- I'm sure I mean, it must has something like that going. Swear it. Anyway, <laughs> and the data data dine, uh, a defense contractor co- corporation headed by uh, Cassandra Davis Vias, in exchange for creating an AI with code breaking abilities to access an ancient alien spacecraft at the bottom of the Pacific Sea. The, the ski, sorry, Skidar uh, agreed to supply Datadyne with enough alien technology to become the biggest corporation on Earth, because that's the most important thing. Uh, the player is cast as Jonah Dark, an agent of the Carrington uh, Institute, whose excellent scores in training have earned her the codename Perfect Dark. On her first mission, she is sent to extract a defector, no, a defector known as Dr. Carroll uh, from the Datadyne uh, Laboratory. Dr. Carroll is uh, is revealed to be an AI created by Datadyne and is worried about the mission for which it had been designed. After the extraction, Carrington is held captive uh, at a private villa uh, data uh, by data dying soldiers. When Jonah rescues him, uh, she is informed that Doctor Carroll has been taken by to a data dying front in Chicago. There, Jonah learns that Cassandra, NSA Director Trent Easton, and a mysterious man known as Mister Blonde plan to kidnap the President of the United States to get access. To a deep sea research vessel called Pelagric 2. Although the president is in danger, Carrington alerts Jonah that the Mayan craft was shot down near Area 51 and sends her to rescue a Mayan protector uh, named Elvis. Because the <laughs> um, because the uh, president of the United States refuses to loan Datadyne the Pelagric uh, Pelagic uh, 2 the NSA sends a strike team to kill him and replace him with a Datadyne grown clone the strike team invades the airbase from which the Air Force 1 will depart when Jonah foils the strike the NSA and the group of cloaked Skidar take over the plane itself which crashes after Jonah attempts to detach a craft attached to it. Having survived the crash, Jonah eliminates the president's clone and rescues the real president. Trent's incompetence angers Mr. Bond, who kills him after uh, disabling his cloaking device. Oh no, he was an alien all along. With no other options, Datadyne hijacks the Pelagic, why can't I say that too, to research the ancient spacecraft. However, unknowing to Datadyne, 
the spacecraft contains a powerful weapon capable of destroying the planet. And the Skeeter attempts to att intends to test this on Earth using it against, uh, before using it against the Mayan homeworld. Jonah and Elvis follow Datadyne to an ancient spacecraft where they find a reprogrammed Dr. Carol cracking the weapon. Jonah replaces its current personality with a backup of the original and restores Dr. Carol, sets the weapon to self-destruct. As, as Carrington and Jonah prepare for a president's reception, the Skidar assaults the Carrington Institute and, -cap and capture Jonah. In space, aboard an alien spacecraft, on course to the Skida home planet, Jonah finds herself in a holding cell with Cassandra. Feeling that she has been used, Cassandra redeems herself by making a distraction and sacrificing herself. See, the nice redemption story. God bless you, Cassandra. Freeing Jonah and there giving herself a chance for revenge. With the help of Elvis, Jonah takes control of the spacecraft, lands on the Skeeter home planet, where she ultimately defeats the Skeeter leader. Skeeter leader! Um, leaving the Skeeter in disarray. The game ends with Elvis and Jonah leaving the planet just prior to an orbit bombardment of the Mayan uh, Navy. Wow! Now, there's less jokes when I'm talking about that because of the originality to the story. I mean, it's such an original story. Like, you can see, as I said, all the way through it, you can see where it's taken, you know, from lots of pop culture references, where it's taken that influence from. But it's such its own unique thing. And it's, as I said, it's cinematic. Like, obviously, Twine is cinematic. It's based off of a bloody movie. But this is a complete entity by itself. So, the first Jinjo for storyline. We got there in the end. The first Jinjo for storyline has to go to the original story. Has to go to Perfect Dark. Whew, we haven't even got into the game yet. <laughs> Shall we get into a bit of gameplay? Shall we? Shall we? Let's do this. Blooming Laura. <laughs> it does seem the time. Blooming act. We're not, we're not usually not usually this uh, deep in after storyline. But hey ho, we're here. And now we have to go to the very important part. And that's how these games actually played. Obviously both first person shooters. And even though, you know, Perfect Dark fundamentally uses that same engine as uh, GoldenEye did and Twine used its own uh, engine completely. Both of them though look to expand on what GoldenEye given it for. And one of the funny things that I noticed straight off the bat was this giving it a secondary function. Everything had a secondary function which always made me giggle because it, yeah it's almost like oh do you know what do you know what Goldeneye needed a bit more? Do you, do you know when you held the sniper rifle and it turned your fists 
into the butt of the sniper rifle. It needs more of that. It needs more of that. But I do like it because, you know, it changes, you know, from burst shots and stuff like that. And I think it's, um, I quite like it. It's, it's, it's nice that both games did this. Um, as I said, both first-person shooters. So guess what? The guns are stupidly important. Now, like GoldenEye, so we'll start with Twine. Like GoldenEye, it, it may have got all the licensing from GoldenEye, but not from the gun manufacturers. So if you ever wondered why a PPK was called a PP7 in GoldenEye, well, that's because Wolfer, the company, did not allow them to use that name because... That's where you're getting it. It doesn't matter if it appears in movies. The movies have the rights to use those names. The computer games don't. So it's followed that, uh, <laughs> followed the same sort of form as what you saw in uh, in GoldenEye. With the Wolfer PP uh, P99, which was the gun he used in the movie, being called the Wolfram P2K. Um, we'll go through. Well, I won't go through every single name, but then you've got the the Colter Anaconda, which was then given the name the Mustang .44, which was like the Magnum gun. Then you had the Desert Eagle, uh, which was uh, then given the name of the Raptor Magnum. Um, but then the sort of three pistols that you get in the game, but got five submachine guns. Um, from uh well they, they've got the most important so you had the rsp 90 in goldeneye which is now called the mb pw 90 i don't I, it's not got the same ring to it but yeah it's very much the the rsp 90 of the game then you have f about five rifles you had a pump action shotgun you had a grenade launcher you had the the rpgs um but there's one addition to this that goldeneye did not have which was laser-guided laser missiles, which had four uh, missiles in there. That's pretty cool. Um, and then you had the M203AI uh, uh, grenade launcher, which was uh, it was basically a rifle mixed with a grenade launcher, which was pretty cool, as well as spear gun. And if you want to go for Walking Dead, there's a crossbow in there as well. Um, one of the guns that have stuck around is the iconic golden gun because it's a James Bond game. Now, with this, it does take less flashbacks to the older movies because with the multiplayer in the original, you could use, uh, sorry, in the Golden Eye, not the original, uh, you could use the likes of Jaws, Odd Job. If you used Odd Job, there's something wrong with you. Uh, Baron Samadhi, yeah, you had all of those older um, James Bond villains in there in the mix as well. This very much, even though you've got the Golden Gun, this very much just sticks to the basis of that's the only sort of flashback. Um, because we'll come on to characters that you can use in multiplayer in a minute, but it didn't have the same, 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 same nostalgic feel. Um, you've got the watch uh, as well, so you've got loads of gadgets in this one. I think that's what was missing in GoldenEye was the gadgets because you you had the watch with the laser and stuff like that. You could then trigger the remote mines. And if you saw that list, there's there's less on the way of that remote mine aspect or that proximity mines. There's nothing like that in this game. It's more the case of, right, let's, let's give Bond some more hero-esque bits and pieces now one of the things is that whenever you <laughs> there's there's some advertising you can't they couldn't have used uh the gun names but 
Jesus Christ, the mobile phone to the start menu. You jump straight into it, and it's it's Hello Moto. Uh, it's it's a fucking Motorola. It's like Jesus Christ. Here we go. It's the official the official mobile phone of the movie. Um, but yeah, you've got the watch in there, which had a taser, it had a trank built into it, and it had a grappling hook. Because guess what? Bond can use move a bit better in this. He can move a little bit better in this one. Um, he, can, he can run he can run and swim and jump in this one. So he couldn't do that in the uh, previous Bond, uh, GoldenEye game. If you went near the water, it just refused for you to go any further. Um, uh, but the lock-busting laser, as I said, you've got ID scanners, you've got uh, code decryptors, you've got night vision goggles and x-ray goggles. Steady on, James. Remember, take them for dinner first. Um, and uh, it's very much these open worlds and uh, get open world levels. There's, even though they are a linear adventure in the way of that you've got these things to complete, you can complete them and you can explore. There is one get level, though. It is very linear and it's uh, on rails. And that is one level where you're going down the mountain on the skis, which is... It's an okay level, but I've got a real... I've played it on a stream, but I've got one massive thing against it. Now, skiing involves two hands on two sticks as you you go down the mountain. How is Bond? And no joke, Bond has a rifle in this one. You know, I think that's the sort of main weapon that he's using. So that takes two hands. But Bond's on skis. He's not on a snowboard. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure people that snowboard will tell me that it would be pretty hard to fire a gun while on a snowboard as well. But he's on skis. Where's he got the spare hands from? Has Bond got an extra hand? These are all questions that we will never have answered. Um. Anyway, but unlike GoldenEye, uh, as I said, he, he can do a lot more now. He can do a lot more. Um. And avoid, tr and avoid the most efficient train service i've ever seen so one of the levels you are going through london you're chasing the uh you're chasing the villa uh the assassin uh you're chasing her through the city and you go into this tube station um and you have to deactivate these bombs which are in these loos and uh when you're crossing over you get to a point where you're at a tube station the actual tube station and these trains are like one two three boom go past one two three boom go past there's there's no hesitation to these bloody trains i've never seen i ne i wish london would work like that <laughs> so you have to avoid getting run over by a train which is for some reason these one these trains aren't stopping no train thinks ah this is my station to stop no because that's fundamentally how bloody train stations work really isn't it the train stops it doesn't just go zooming through oh well there are but not tube really is it just me anyway um but the, you, you you've got all those bits but the thing is is that when you're using the, you know when you're trying to bring up whatever gadget you have and you know there's a bit at the beginning uh where you're in the bank and you you, you having to use a lot of these gadgets straight off the bat like this id you have to present your id it took me a good five minutes first time playing this game to actually figure out how to present my id uh, like it, yeah it does follow the basis of 90 percent of shooters on this game unless it's a two-up game 
uh, in the way of controls. But there is a, an element to it as well that it just, it tries, it, I don't know, it's trying to fit too much in. And it does take a bit. Once you've got used to it, it it's fine. But if you take a break from this game and come back to it, you're sat there and you're going, how the bloody hell did I do it? Um, and it's not as straightforward as you would want. Um, so that's that's the first player, and you know the campaign mode. Then we come onto multiplayer, and you've got all your bells and whistles in there. You've got a deathmatch mode, four-player deathmatch mode. You've got a capture the flag mode. You've got king of the hill mode. You've got this one called last agent, which you've got a certain number of lives, and you have to do these uplinks to score points. Um, you've got you can choose fourteen, pretty much all fourteen levels. Uh, in the multiplayer, you've got bots as well. So if you want to create it, they're, they're not as funny as the Duke Nukem bots, but they are a bit more. The AI is better uh, in this game as a whole. Um, but the the uh, the characters that you can choose as well, you can pretty much choose most of the characters from the game uh, from the movie. Um, and do you know what? They look like them. If you want to run around as Judy Dench, kicking ass, you can in this game. That's quite cool. Um, but it, I think, yeah, I, I think that's really good detail there. But it's just a bit sad that they didn't um, put in those older characters like what you had with GoldenEye. I don't know if it's a licensing thing. I'm not sure. Maybe it is. Um, but the great thing is with the N64 version is you had all this. The PlayStation and the PC version did not. So yet again... They knew they had to with the N64. They knew they could get away with it for the PlayStation and the... It just shows you. The N64 is that multiplayer experience. Why not put it in your PlayStation game? Why? Because Eurocom knew it had to go in there. Um, right. So what do I think? I think it is, you know, the gameplay in this is very... I think the AI will come into how it looks in a minute. But the AI, the AI for the gameplay is incredibly intelligent. Um, it's uh, reactive when, you, when you're shooting people, how it's uh, collision detection. It's, it's very, very good. It's really good. And it almost has this weirdly weird sense of being a... Um, a sixth generation shooter you can see where this um and we'll as i said we'll come into this in graphics but how it play, plays and how it feels doesn't feel like an n64 game it's almost what we would see later on for playstation 2 um but let's go on to perfect dark because perfect dark is very similar it's, it's like greeting in an old friend you know you know it's it's Got those additions, as I said, everything has uh, the uh, second function. But it, it's 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 got that similarity that it's like bringing in an old friend. But then with the mixture of GoldenEye, but where it's set in the future, cool, we can do more things with this. Um, so obviously it loses the rights completely. So it's not even going to, it doesn't even try and imitate uh, what had come before. You know, we've Jonah needs a gun, so instead of the PP7 that you got in GoldenEye, Jonah's uh, she, her firearm of choice is the Falcon 2, where it's nice because you get different versions of it, quite like you did with uh, GoldenEye as well. You had the silence version, um, so you get the silencer back for the Falcon 2, but you also get a scope in there as well. Um, now, you get the normal 
Uh, the normal shotguns, rifles, uh, submachine guns, rockets. You, you get all of that. You get all of that with it. But there's some really interesting guns in this. One of them is the laptop gun. Laptop gun, you can either run around with it or you can set it up as like a sentinel, or, you know, a... Uh, a um, a point, you know, something that's going to shoot people uh, freely by itself, so you can set them up and, you know, you can have some fun with that. You've got the wrist lasers, but the major thing is the alien weapons. The alien weapons rule. Now, I will play in this game. I'm not being funny. Anybody who has never played this game and comes and plays it, I'm putting it out there. Now, Rare were bought out after the N64, if you didn't know, already know, by Microsoft, yeah? Do you think Halo is a bit of a perfect dark ripoff? I'm not talking fundamentally all of it, but the alien guns in it, if you go and have a look, I mean, especially the mine guns, I mean, go and look at them. They look very Halo. I'm putting it out there. There's certain guns in it, you go... Uh, I think I think we know the influence. I'm not saying they're completely ripped off, maybe, but I'm I'm, I'm saying that the you know you're looking at the Phoenix. You had like the you had the Phoenix, which was the pistol gun, um, but mainly it's the uh, Callisto uh, NTG, which was like the Mayan rifle. Um, that feels very Halo. Um, and then you had the new gun gun. The new cheating, cheating weapon, like the the weapon that used to infuriate me, which was the Farsight XR20. Now, you, uh, fair enough, you have a gun that could cause one shot kill. We're used to that, but a gun that can do that through fucking walls. No, no, that is literally cheating. Like, if somebody, if you had that in the, the the multiplayer, it was like, no, no, we're not having that gun in this game. We're not having it. It is a cool concept. You know, you go into the scope and you, you've you got your sort of crosshairs, like a crosshairs, but you, you sort of look through and everything's like, um, uh, it, it's almost, yeah, it's, it's almost like radio waves. You can sort of see pictures, people's outlines and colourful, you know, and, and I think... It is a good idea, but it's just one of those game guns where it's so stupidly overpowered. And there's another one that we will go into in a minute, a uh, weapon, that's a bit overpowered. But that one had the chance of not just hurting them, but hurting you as well. Um, and then you had the Mauler, um, uh, the Mauler guns, um, where you had the Reaper, uh, which was more of a pistol-esque. But then you had the Slayer which the Slayer was on it. Was, it's like picking up a, uh, I don't know, a grass trimmer and sort of pointing at people. You had these three bits and it spin around. It was almost like a chain gun uh, and kill people. It was very, very cool. Very, very different. And that's why I like it. You had your mind. So as Goldeneye was, you had the proximity. You had your, uh, you had all of the, all of the mines in there timed and oh! remote there we go got there um you had those in there you had your grenades but one throwable weapon a nuke <laughs> it's called an n-bomb but fundamentally you're just chucking a nuke now anybody who's i think most of you played this game with those nukes 
did anybody else be able to actually hurt somebody else with them but not hurt yourself the only way that i could ever find it is if i was up on an upper level throwing them downwards that was the only time i could ever really get anybody without absolutely mulling myself but as i said golden eye it's very much the golden eye controls with the added oomph um you've got some bits when there with stealth as well so you can you know you, you can sort of it, it, it's like everything golden eye was but really giving a bit of a boost um and the one player mode you had nine missions uh each of those would have one to three levels um and then you had the unlockable uh special assignments at the end which is very similar to what you've got at the end of golden eye with being able to unlock uh the aztec or the egyptian levels um you've got all these levels is you've got tower blocks you've got secret bases you've got under under the sea you've got space You've got Air Force One, you've got Deserts, you've got Timeshare Villas, you've got Area 51, you've got Space! Um, you, you've got so much in there. And also, that's very much in the way of the multiplayer levels as well. They are, they very much feel the same as GoldenEye with the sort of roomy sort of element all being almost indoors, but it, it does sort of, it very much portrays the game as well. Um, and then in the um, that multiplayer, you had Deathmatch, you had Capture the Flag, you had King of the Hill. Um, but then you had Hold the Briefcase, which was pretty much last man standing with the laptop gun, which is pretty cool. And then you had Hacker uh, Central, which was going around, making sure you hack terminals, kill each other, uh, earning points. Um, and you had the bots in there as well. Now, one thing with the bots I love is... That if I was wanting to play by myself, and I did occasionally, like in the summer holidays, as I said, I have got memories of listening to Mark and Lara playing Space Station Silicon Valley. Yet this game, I did it a couple of times by myself. I have memories of playing the multiplayer on this by myself. Because the bots are really intelligent. Actually, for an N64 game, they're pretty good. Yet again, not Duke Nukem bots. Um, so it, 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 they were really good and you could really customize them. And I always remember like creating my team and uh, like my team would all be in the green outfits and you'd be able to, because you'd be able to change their heads and their, their, their outfits. So you could change them around and make everyone look really cool and everyone look different. And But at the same time, all be in the same uniform. So you can make it more us versus them, almost like a laser questy sort of thing. That you could tell the difference between teams. I, I, I just... That was one thing I really enjoyed doing. And another thing that I really, really like about the gameplay. And the last thing I will go on to the gameplay with Perfect Dark. Is the Institute. So going around the Cavington Institute. And being able to... Uh, just go and tour around. But then you've got the... That's where your training mode is as well. And I really like that. That there's, You felt like there was some hidden bits. Like... Obviously, you had the level where you're in the Carrington Institute and you're being attacked by the uh, the, the aliens. But I, I really like that element of having your training, having your, your, your almost your main menu in that Carrington Institute. I thought that was really good. Now, cool. Let's, let's, let's think of this. Who wins for gameplay? Now, I played both. Over the last two, three months, Jesus. Over the last three months, I've played both games a lot. Now, both games 
are brilliant. I can't stress this enough. Both games are bloody brilliant uh, for the controls, for the feel of them. Um, I, I really, I love both games. I can't express this enough. And it was really hard because I'm going, well, which one did I enjoy the most? Now, I can't separate them. I really mean it. Like, I, I love Perfect Dark for what it is. And I love Twine for what it is. So what do I do? Um, and, and, and I did have to think about this long and hard because I, I've been honestly swaying between two. So I thought I'd be fair. Now, the last the last Jinjo I gave because it was original. And I'm going to do it for this as well. So this in the way of gameplay. Oh, so hard. Bah. No, I'm doing it. This one. No. So I was just about to give it to Twine. Because it's running off of a completely different, uh, it's it's a completely like a completely new uh, engine, yeah. But in the way of gameplay, which one did I enjoy most? I enjoyed in the campaign the differences in those levels, and the one that had the the differences in the levels and literally every level feels different. If that's you sneaking around the streets of Chicago to being up in space, uh, battling the big alien. Uh, I mean, perfect dark. You can't take away from it. I'm sorry. I, I, there's part of me that wants to give this to twine, but no, no, the better game for gameplay. It's Perfect Dark. So that's 2-0 to Perfect Dark. Two blinking nil. And now we come on to sound and graphics. Ah, good luck, Twine. So here we go. Sound and graphics. Let's start with Twine. And we're starting with disappointment because the great thing about GoldenEye is that when you started up, it felt like you were starting a movie. Like the excitement, the excitement to starting GoldenEye, to seeing that the original sort of page coming up that looked like the start of a movie to the even even the, coming up with the nintendo graphic and the rare graphic and then seeing the ba-da-ba-da-da and reenacting that famous james bond moment going through the, the the amazing rock version of the theme that was going on in the background to doing that iconic opening to going through every single character and every time that you would do it they would do different poses and it would be different camera angles. And then it just felt like the beginning of a movie. And it even said starring 007. You know, it was it was it was fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Twine starts off with a load of JPEGs. I mean, it's it looks tacky. If you if you were to switch that on. You, it's almost trying to lead you to disappointment. And I, I'm not saying it is, but it, it, 
does. It makes you think that this is going to be a really cheap game because you have the EAs. You don't even get an EA Sports is in the game or anything. It's just literally a fucking JPEG. And the JPEG of the um, the uh, f film company. It, and, and it's just boring. And then the menu when you go in there. The music's all right. I've got to admit, I've got Neil Baldwin, who created the music, he, he also did um, Duke Nukem Zero Hour, is a game that we will be covering uh, at some point on this. Um, War Gods as well for this console. Um, but it, it's... I mean, the music is good in, in all the levels and how it sounds and the gunfire, um, like, it, it makes it feel impactful. The sound effects of... Everything from the the bloody trains going by and trying to get run over. You know, you've got so many good sound effects in them as well. You've got some recorded voices from John Cleese. And, you know, it, it's it's good. But the really disappointing start to it and the menu just looks so cheap. And don't get me wrong. I mean, like, the graphics in it. As I was just saying, the graphics are so good. I mean, like, when you're actually in the game itself, it feels... Like, it should be a Gen 6 con uh, game. I've said this already, but it really does feel like a game that you should be playing on the PlayStation 2. Like a Medal of Honor. You know, it, uh, a Medal of Honor Frontline is a game that I've played to hell and back. And this game makes me feel like that. It, it's it's so in-depth, and each of the levels has a real good level of detail to them as well as i've already said the faces on the characters it looks like judy dench you know it, it looks like pierce brosnan it's really really good detail and very very clever that you you have it doesn't need the expansion pack to run perfect dark needs the expansion pack this doesn't you have a high and low res mode and also in the multiplayer as well You've got high and low res mode um, on the weapons. That is unfortunately because you do have a frame rate drop when you've got four people in there. Um, so it's a bit dis it's a bit disappointing in that aspect, but it does look and feel like a next gen game, and it feels cinematic. Um, now let's let's go on to Perfect Dark, shall we? The music. <laughs> oh dear. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Twine. The music originally fronted by Graham Norgate. Now, Graham Norgate left the project. He left the project with the likes of Steve Ellis and Doc Doak um, to go and form Radical Free Designs. So, Free Radical Designs. Now, that's really big. Like, during the game, they had this massive upheaval. And they went off to go and do that. If you don't know who Free Radical Designs are, they created a little game called Time Splitters, which is hugely popular. Um, so they went off and created that. So after that, you had uh, you had David Kleenick, uh, who's very much known for this game, uh, Perfect Dark, because he was brought in to sort of uh, replace Graham Norgate, who had done the music for Blast Corpse and GoldenEye before. Um, but there is one man that was in charge of a lot of this music and that's and he always says that like no it's not my thing it wasn't me you know lots of this but grant grant kirkhope 
Um, I, I, do I need to say much more than Grant Kirkhope? If you don't know who Grant, Grant Kirkhope is, of course, I really struggle saying it. Um, we're going to more likely do a whole podcast devoted to him. I'll be really honest. If I can get him on as a guest. Oh, my God. Ugh. But no, I, I think he's an icon. An absolute icon. Now, the graphics. Um, the the graphics, obviously, using that expansion pack. Um, and when playing this game, there was one thing that dawned on me. That this game, no other game, even though it's got the expansion pack or that, no other game uses light like this game. I mean... Like, how it uses it is incredible. It's the detail into, like, light lit areas and the the little differences in the levels of, you know, starting when you're up on top of the, um, on top of the skyscraper. That difference is in when you go further and further down into the skyscraper. I think how it uses that light difference and shading and... It's really clever. Now, obviously, it was made a bit, but even better for the N6, uh, sorry, the Xbox 360 relaunch. But this is is lovely. I, I really mean it. Now, name me another game that uses textures and especially light differences like this game. And is it's just it feels exciting. As soon as you're in this game, it feels exciting, and you feel immersed into this game and that is very much helped by the music and the graphics and that little level of detail um now when you do have that level of uh, upheaval in three guys as big as ellis uh, doke and um uh, norgate i i think uh, to still go on and be what it is it's absolutely fundamentally breathtaking now i hate to do this to you (laughs) but the winner for sound and graphics has to go to perfect dark which means the twine can't come back from this which means stick around because we still could be on to something that's only happened once before. So let's go on to what the critics thought. So, free nil. Oh dear, oh dearie dear, oh dearie dearie dear. Well, let's go on to what the critics thought, what you guys thought as well. Because even though this is 3 nil, I'm not in the same position as I have been sometimes with other 3 nils. Um, especially the famous 5 nil victory of uh, WrestleMania 2000 versus uh, WWF Attitude. I, I was in full agreement with that. I think that this is... It's its almost like a really good boxer going against one of the world's best. That's, that's how it makes me feel. But let's let's go on to what the critics thought. So we'll start off with Twine. The world is not enough. 
and it sold. Even though, right, at the beginning of this podcast, I said there was no Japanese launch, which usually means sales are going to be low. Even if Conker's Bad Fur Day didn't even break a million, and that was the highest one we've seen. So I think it was 850,000, I believe, copies sold. So that's, that's the largest one that we've seen so far. This, without a Japanese release, without a Japanese release, sold 1.55 million copies. Wow. Just wow. That it, that is, so far, our only Western-only launch to break a million. So it'll be interesting as we go through our journey if any other game can do it. Because that is amazing. Just spectacular. 1.55 million without the Japanese market. And we know how important that Japanese market was. And to be honest, looking at what the critics thought, I'm not surprised because the verdict on IGN says... The World Is Not Enough is an excellent 3D shooter for the N60, Nintendo 64 and an amazing follow-up to Rare's GoldenEye. Whether or not it's ultimately better than Perfect Dark is a question open to debate as different gamers obviously want different things out of their shooters. However, it's an incredible single-player mode packed full of spy gadgetry, stealth missions, clever mission objectives and outstanding graphics that you're after, you can't do better than Eurocom's shooter. Even if it does fall a little short in the AI and multiplayer departments, wholeheartedly recommend. So that is already indicating we are on to a big score. So, and this is fundamentally... Where I tell you, you if you've got an N64, you need to pre-blow both of these games. Don't just get a bit stuck up and go, well, I want the rare model. IGN gave it a score of 8.9. That is a battle for Jinjo's winning score. That usually in that top 8 you know, score or going on to 9 score usually has cemented the game, the Battle for Jinjos. But then we come on to Perfect Dark. Um, and it sold only one million... Co- I say only one million copies more, but one million copies more. So it was 2.52. Now, I say only five, uh, one million more because the Japanese market fundamentally is more than it's more than double what the western market is so i thought that would have been higher but a very different game cover the may maybe it was i don't know it may be the eastern market for that sort of shooter i don't know but 2.52 million which is incredible um, I've got to actually bring up, actually. This is one thing. 
is that in each of those levels of Perfect Dark, there is a hidden bit of cheese. I've got to say this. Go and look for the hidden bit of cheese. There's a hidden bit of cheese in every single one of those levels. If that isn't a bit of pub knowledge for you, I don't know what is. Go and look for a bit of cheese in each of those levels. Now, the verdict from IGN. There are a lot of games that ride the hype train only to disappoint upon the arrival. But Perfect Dark is not one of them. Rare's intelligent 3D shooter features amazing graphics, loads of in-game options, some cheese, uh, a cooperative mode, a counter-operative mode, extensive bot setups, and and, uh, the most well-rounded multiplayer mode ever to grace the Nintendo 64. These great features combined work to distance this game from all other console first person shooters out there in fact my biggest and only gripe with the game is its sometimes sluggish frame rate which are even i an admittedly fluid junkie an, an admittedly fluid junkie have no problem overlooking as the experience is otherwise so much fun GoldenEye has remained unbeatable as a best home console first-person shooter for three years now. It's only right that the game that finally dethrones it, the classic comes from the same team that made Bond a hit to begin with. Hats off to Rare for delaying the product long enough to perfect... Get it? A, A, it... And sorry, I can't, can't, couldn't resist. Uh, bottom line, if you don't own Perfect Dark, you don't deserve to own a Nintendo 64 Evo. Wow! That's someone who's had too many orange Smarties. They're really excited. You can hear the excitement as they type like, Oh my God, you need to go and buy this. But what did they score it? Now. <laughs> Not often do we see this. A perfect score would be 10. Perfect Dark. Winning the fourth Jinjo. Scored 9.8. Wow. That's incredible. Um, now, this is the important one. What did you guys think? So I put it out there. And 57 of you voted. You are all, all raw. And let's go for down and see what you guys thought. So first of all, Sean Steer, my friends, hope you are well. Thinking of you always. I will always enjoy The World Is Not Enough. Really good game. But Perfect Dark is a fantastic game that I put more hours into than GoldenEye. Also, I believe, has far better multiplayer than GoldenEye also. Come at me, fanboys. Love you all, really. Um, I, I can't really say much more. I, I, think you're, I think you might be right. Um, you are. You are right, fundamentally. Um, another friend of the podcast... Mark Fryguy64 Kelly. You're not already going to follow him. G- 
go and give him a follow on Twitch, FryGuy64. He is the king of completing Donkey Kong games, which uh, is on the horizon for us. Not completing it, but reviewing it. Um, Mark uh, says, I said Perfect Dark, but I still think Time Splitters was a much was was a much closer fit. Oh, okay. Well, it's technically, as we've already identified, it's the same team. Um, MVS, hello you. Uh, when Goldeneye faced off against Turok, the multiplayer wasn't considered. Very true. When we did Goldeneye, we have not spoken about the multiplayer. So, if I'm just playing the story mode, it's James Bond by a hair. The Carrington Institute train, tra- uh, sorry, Carrington Institute trainings might be the best few hours of gameplay. Gameplay the N64 has to offer, and Perfect Dark is a better complete package. Very much going down one route here, isn't it? Uh, what's wrong with Wolfie? A great podcast who's had such guests as the legendary Mr. Biffo from Digitizer, the iconic Dominic Diamond from Games Master, and this guy called Cliff Foster. (laughs) I was the first, goddammit. Hello, you. If you haven't listened to their podcast, please do. It's all sorts of 90s awesomeness. I was a guest on their podcast, and it was lovely, and I'll always be the first guest, and hopefully one day I'd imagine... Around the corner, when they get to the point in the N64, I'm going to get a knock, aren't I? <laughs> Not like that. God's sake. Anyway, what's wrong with Wolfie says, has to be perfect dark. I loved how different it was, but still familiar all at once. Had a great time exploring some of those environments and wonderful to see another female protagonist. Uh, it was one, it was like one, a futuristic Bond game. And I was all in for it. Thank you very much, guys. Um, Retro as Timson. Hello, you. Hello. Got a shout out already today. Uh, they made the blue cart. <laughs> they made the cart blue, sorry. So in other words, he's saying that <laughs> the world is not enough should win because the American cart was blue. <laughs> It's funny enough, I don't know which one came first, but it's the same blue cart that you get for uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1. So one of them was (laughs) them trying to shift the carts. (laughs) Okay, it was blue dabba dee dabba die, was it? Anyway, Matty Boo, Matty Boo Twitches, hello you again. Perfect Dark, not even a contention. Okay. And now we have Super Sexy Dave Fisher. Perfect dark all of the way. Uh, as kids, you had thought that everyone would have chased the next Bond game for their golden eye fix. But we just knew that Perfect Dark was going to be the next heir to the golden eye throne. And uh, we got G-Don, friend of the podcast. I think this could be the most one-sided poll you've done, Cliff. Well, I didn't think it would be, but maybe you're right. Uh, Twine was surprisingly decent, but up against the behemoth of Perfect Dark, 
no contest. And we've got Jack. Uh, the hello, you, Jack McCarthy. Uh, perfect dark all the way. Twine was good, but there was something off about it. I guess the engine was different. Uh, and the physics in Perfect Dark were similar as well as being slightly better. They were true. It was completely different. And Dark Wellbone, Dark Wellbone, the 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 heir to the uh, N64 Life podcast Discord channel, because they are awesome and they're always there to put a smile on everyone's faces. I've been play. I, I've not played Twine, but Perfect Dark is a pretty sweet game. It's got to be that, right? Well. Let's find out. Because we know that Perfect Dark have won this, but there's only one game we have reviewed in the Battle for Jinjos that has the perfect A A score. And that was WrestleMania 2000. That is the only game that has won 5-0 until now because with a score of 77% against a score of 23%, ladies and gentlemen, we have another perfect winner, and that winner is Perfect Dark. Boom! Well, I didn't think it would be that one-sided. I've got to admit because, I mean, I mean, if you have an N64, go and buy both games. Um, Timson in that chat will be very much shouting like I am with both of these games. Try If you've got a, uh, a NTSC uh, console, go and get them on the NTSC. Don't get them on the PAL. Uh, there is a little bit of lag with both on the PAL. But it, it's not too much that you would uh, destroy your enjoyment on either game. I don't think, but it, it does... If you're trying to get four-player action with some bots in there, please get the NTC, NTSC version. And also, you can't pick up... I mean, if you are an N64 enthusiast, I say this, or, or even if you could get hold, you know, just you can get hold of a cheap blooming N64 from Japan or from America. Just make sure that, remember, they are hard uh, region locked, uh, which it, there's ways around it. Timson knows ways of uh, cutting through things i just bought a little adapter that goes at the top to stop it so i can you play my uh american carts on there but i i've got to admit it is worth it as an n64 collector um that's it we we're done for this week's battle for jinjos that was nice i have had all sorts of problems recording this because of windows 11 so i do really appreciate it. i don't know how it's going to come out could be the best one I've ever done. It could be the worst one. <laughs> Thanks for sticking around this long if it was that shit. Um, but no, thank you th- so, so, so much. We'll be back in two weeks' time with a mini history of Star Fox 64. If you didn't know already, one of my favorite games of all time. I'm looking forward to talking about this. Uh, we are going to leave our special guest to... Just just have an episode with just them. Hopefully. I've just messaged them to see what their internet situation is. <laughs> <laughs> it may have, may have already know who that person is if you know that those persons had internet situation issues. Um, but no, um, thank you very much for joining me today. There will be lots and lots of announcements coming. I'm not going to give them away all now. 
Um, especially with some big old shows around the corner. I can't wait. It's got some lovely. lovely. Um, if you want to come and follow me on the Twitter or the Instagram, remember it's N64 Life Podcast. If you want to come and speak to me, I, you know, interact and all that jazz, there is a Discord channel. The link is in the description of this podcast, as well as the Twitch channel. If you want to come and watch along, um, there's loads of stuff on there that you can go and watch from previous shows. But if you want to come watch live, 8.30 till 11 British Standard Time on a Friday and a Sunday, come and join in uh, on the Ruddy Friday stream. We just literally play anything. Uh, But on the Sunday streams, we are currently playing ocarina of time because guess what it's my comfort game and i need all the comfort i can get no, i'm living not living off it anymore um <laughs> I'm, I'm playing it's my show right anyway and also if you wanted to give me a little email if you feel like ah, oh, i really want to be a part of one of the shows where i want to be a guest uh then drop me an email n64 life podcast at gmail.com and those that i have been in contact uh, over the last year or so about being guests. Don't worry, you are still on a list. <laughs> right, that's it. Another battle for Jinjo's done. Mini history just around the corner. I shall catch you all. Derry, Derry. God's sake. Hang. No! Get out! For f***'s sake. Get. get. Don't you. You're not over! Ever wonder what it's like to be 007? Now you know. fall to a game platform near you. Welcome to 2023. Big businesses now merge with alien nations. An ancient war is being fought under the sea. The president is about to be cloned. And it's your job to try and save the world. So you've got an important decision to make. What are you going to wear to work? From the team who brought you GoldenEye for N64, meet Special Agent Joanna Dark in Perfect Dark, where you'll find out that the only person man enough to handle a job like this 